Okay, all right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to session number 49 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. I'm Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and I am excited to go back to the Prancing Pony and to join the company imprudently uh, in the common room here this evening. Uh, so... Uh, uh, so yeah, so that's that's where we are. But first, before we uh, before we start that, I have announcements. Actually, I'm going to confess, I have a ton of announcements, which I'm going to try to be efficient about because there's so many exciting things going on that I want to make sure to tell you guys about because there's lots of awesome things. So okay, awesome thing number one is uh, don't forget this weekend fried chicken run. Right, we're doing the chicken run. I'm, I'm going to go from Mickle Delving to Mount Doom. That's going to start at 11 p.m. on Landreval server uh, and on Signum uh, Twitch.tv slash SignumU uh, this coming Saturday. So Saturday the 17th, 11 a.m. Eastern time, uh, we're going to start the chicken run uh, from Sanderson's Farm in Mickle Delving. So uh, you're welcome to join us if you can join us as a chicken. If you want to uh, help to uh, uh, join us as a protector of chickens, uh, that also uh, would be uh, perfectly fine. So I hope that you, I'm, I am super excited as, you know, in case you, you haven't heard, this will be my very first trip to Mordor ever. I'll be seeing Mordor for the first time, not to mention, I'll be seeing, uh, a, most really of Athelion for the first time. Frankly, I've only, I've, I got popped into Hen of the Noon, but that's all I've ever seen. So I'm uh, really excited to, to run through Athelion and, uh, and of course, ultimately, uh, get to, uh, get to Mount Doom. So that's going to be pretty awesome. So, uh, so yes, Lady Shmabiwak, if you don't play Lotro, or if you, uh, don't have the, uh, um, don't have the, the, the quests to, uh, run as a chicken or whatever, uh, just join us on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash signamu. will be broadcasting it there and you can watch along. So, um, so that is just, that is merely the first, uh, of our awesome announcements today. Uh, uh announcement number two, uh, involves, Mythmoot. So Mythmoot 5 is, of course, coming up this June, and it is going to be spectacular. We're going to have four days together in June from the 21st to the 24th of June down in Leesburg, Virginia. We're going to have awesome special guests. Douglas Anderson, uh, the, the author and editor of The Annotated Hobbit, is coming. John Garth, author of Tolkien and the Great War, is coming. Uh, Mark Ockren, the, the, the guy who invented the Klingon language, is coming to give us Klingon lessons. It's going to be so cool. Uh, not to mention uh, all of you wonderful people who will be coming. I had such a wonderful time last year. Last year's Myth Moot, best conference I've ever been to, uh, and I expect all of the same things that this year we're gonna we're gonna play Lotro. We're gonna we're gonna do other gaming. We're gonna have awesome scholarly papers. It's gonna be fa- it's gonna be fantastic. So, um, that's uh, uh, that's that's but but not just a reminder about Mythmoot, though that's important too. Um, but I have a specific announcement about Mythmoot, and that is let me bring out my uh, my my link here. So on the Mythmoot page for those this is especially an announcement for those of you who have signed up already. Um, if you scroll down the page, there is a book a room button. There's been an issue. That, so at the venue that we have, we have lodging there, and it's really cool, and all the cool kids uh, stay there. And as you can see from the rates, the room prices are way lower than most of the hotels in the D.C. area. So uh, it's co- more cost-effective to get a room there, too. Uh, but then again, you get to, like, hang out with all the cool kids, um, you know, after hours and, like, up by the, like outside by the fire pits and stuff. We had lots of awesome times just sitting around the fires and chatting uh, after hours last time. Um, 
Anyway, so uh, the the but so the, but the point is the registration, the room registration hasn't been working. So for those of you who have signed up already, I just wanted to let you know. Uh, green light to, uh, uh, to to sign up for your rooms. They sorted whatever their issue was at the venue there, so we're all set for that. So I wanted to make sure that everybody knew that you can sign up for rooms, which is pretty cool. Um, the, on the general event front, um, I wanted to mention our regional events, which have been really exciting in particular. I wanted to remind you of London Moot, which is coming up very soon uh, at, the end of, at the end of April, April 28th. Still plenty of time to sign up. And also, as Darren was just reminding me here before class, um, uh, Darren is organizing it uh, for us over there in England, is, uh, was with us here tonight. Uh, what we... Uh, there, the, for people who wanna who wanna submit paper proposals, we wanna encourage more proposals uh, for people who wanna give papers or lead discussions. Uh, it's uh, it's a really great time to sort of share some things that you've been thinking about and uh, uh, and uh, you know sort of facilitate or, or or stimulate some really interesting discussions. So any proposals that you might have, uh, uh, get it, you know, maybe get get together with a couple friends and say you know hey you know we're thinking about doing a discussion panel on this. That'd be cool. Send in a proposal, um, and that you you can find that uh, link on the London Moot page, londonmoot.com, and you will get uh, to the London Moot page. So anyway, it's, um, uh, it's, it's very cool, right? So uh, definitely come and join us at London Moot if you possibly can. Really excited to, to meet several of you there. I, I, I've seen notes from a bunch of you about both here uh, uh, in Twitch and on Twitter. Um, uh, from many of you guys who are going to be able to come to London Moon. I'm really, uh, really psyched to get a chance to hang out with uh, uh, some of uh, some of my, my European friends whom I, I don't get a chance to hang out with very much. So that's going to be really great. Um, we're our... Uh, program of regional moots for this year is really taking shape. It's really expanding in super exciting ways. Uh, I am now, we are now planning, I'm now actively planning travel to Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, Kansas City, uh, Denver, uh, lots of places uh, over the course of this, uh, over the course of this year. And of course, in New England, but I'm not planning travel here because I live here. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to also mention we're going to have some more information about those things as we move forward. I'll be releasing some more information, you know, like specific dates and and uh, and stuff uh, for those events uh, coming up. But uh, but I just wanted to let you know for those of you, you know, if anyone who lives in in Seattle or the Seattle area and might be interested in, in, in volunteering to help to organize a regional moot near you. Uh, Seattle is one I'd really like. Toronto, we need, we, 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 we have a notion for Toronto and we have a little bit of a plan, but it would be great to have uh, some more volunteers there. Um, and also this just occurred to me, Orlando, right? We should totally do Florida. We're totally skipping Florida, which seems not right, right? So I'm thinking like the Orlando area, maybe Tampa somewhere in that area uh, would be really cool to do a moot in Florida. So again, anyone who's down there uh, and uh, and has a chance, uh, it would be cool. Uh, let us know. Send us an email, info at signumu.org. Uh, and we will, uh, we'll see if we can get a Florida moot uh, together. And of course, uh, New Zealand and Australia. That's a thing I would really love to see happen at some point. So again, anyone who's interested in helping to make that happen, uh, that would be really great. So anyhow, um, 
just wanted to throw those out there because I've been so excited to be uh, uh, to be planning our uh, our our tour. You know the uh, the Signum University Mythgard Institute tour uh, going around. It's going to be so great to be able to meet people and uh, have all these awesome events in lots of places around the country. Really looking forward to this. So wanting to wanting to, to kind of uh, you know connect with more people in more regions. It's going to be great. Um, okay. So, <laughs> Mickey Moot, yeah, something like that, Sam. I don't know. That's that, that you know, if if we called it that, if we called it Mickey Moot, it would actually be kind of interesting, right? To sort of start a timer and see how long it takes Disney's lawyers to come down on us for calling it that, right? You know, that's like uh, that's like uh, po- poking the bear in a pretty big way. But um, but anyway, yeah, Ambrosius. Really honest, I too would really love to do a Kiwi moot. Um, I am, I am really hoping that we can get one of those things together. Um, anyway, okay. So just, just wanted to, to, to say, and again, I will have more details about our about specific ones of our uh, of our regional moots as we continue to finalize dates and venues and uh, and get that information all out to you. Um, so. The next announcement is uh, one of those things I had up on my... Like, so um, you may remember that last year we did our Hobbit summer camp, right? In, uh, in cooperation with local libraries and homeschool groups. Yeah, we did our sort of hybrid local group uh, and uh, large online uh, class uh, of our read-through of The Hobbit for middle schoolers. Well, this year, that was awesome. That was so awesome last year, and we love that so much that we're expanding our program this year. Um, and we have four camps that we're offering this year. Um, Hobbit camp, Potter camp, Narnia camp, uh, and Wrinkle in Time camp. So we're doing Wrinkle in Time, Wine, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and The Hobbit again. Um, so, the, all, so all four of these camps, as you can see, that you can see the dates uh, here on this page. Um, I, uh, I I encourage you to uh, uh, here. Let me uh, let me just put this. Uh, I'll just post this on the Twitch channel here, uh, so that people can see the link there, and I'll post it here too, so that people can see that. Uh, and I'll be tweeting this, of course, later on. Um, but anyway, so uh, so this is our this is our page for our summer camps. Anybody who you know, so if you if you would like to see your local library do this, please tell your local library uh, about these. Uh, this is these are totally free programs. Doesn't cost the library anything. Doesn't cost cost participants anything. Um, it's um, it's uh, it's just a, just a really cool opportunity uh, for a really fun summer reading program uh, for uh, uh, for middle schoolers um, and really around the world. Uh, you know, anybody can uh, can participate in this. If you're interested, you know, if you are a librarian or if you know a librarian, have them uh, just click the register your group um uh, button here, of course, they can email us with particular questions. We can send them samples of the kinds of uh, material that we're going to be sending out and stuff. There's no um, that you know we'll take care of all the 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 teaching materials and stuff. Um, and uh, you know, again, the idea is that we run an online class five days a week for two weeks uh, for each one of on, on each one of these books, and uh, the kids get together at their local library or get together as a local homeschool group or whatever. Um, and uh, we give them some materials to facilitate some additional discussions, some additional uh, sort of projects and exercises and stuff as they're thinking their way. Uh, it's kind of sort of imagining their way through these different stories. Um, and, uh, you know, and the, the local the local groups, the 
uh, the libraries or the or the school groups or whatever, um, you know, have a lot of freedom. Obviously, they can kind of do whatever they want to do, kind of mix and match of all the things that we uh, that we do. They can have lots of meetings per week. They can only have a couple meetings per week. It's really kind of up to you. But uh, you know, it's just. A thing that we really want to facilitate. We really want to facilitate lots and lots of kids reading awesome books. Uh, you know the kinds of books that we love and talk about here all the time. Uh, you know at Mythgard, and uh, uh, and you know, we just want to help people to be able to do that and and to see those kinds of uh, discussions going on. So middle school uh, is uh, Crystal is what these camps are targeted for. So like age nine to thirteen about is uh, is what we have in mind here. So. Um. Yeah, so that's the that's the that's the thing, um, and yeah, Tony, they will be posted. They should be the recordings will be posted to YouTube again uh, this year. And yeah, the, the the questions the kids asked last year were just awesome. And that was that was so fantastic. I had uh, um, um, I had a uh, a great time listening to the questions from the kids last time. Um, but yeah, Sekaya, yeah, definitely tell English learners in Japan about this. We'd love to have some uh, some some Japanese groups uh, working with our camps. That'd be super cool. Um, okay, cool, yeah. Um, great, yeah. Okay, so just wanted to make sure you guys knew that that was happening, so that you guys can can check that out and tell people at schools and libraries and homeschool groups about this and spread the word because it's going to be awesome. And the final awesome announcement, don't forget tomorrow night, tomorrow night uh, we are beginning our discussion of the War of the Ring, book three of the History of the Lord of the Rings series, book eight of the History of Middle-Earth edited by Christopher Tolkien. Uh, We're going to be looking at Tolkien's, the the development process of the manuscripts of the Lord of the Rings. We're going to get like all the awesome parts in the whole second half of the Lord of the Rings, basically, you know, we're going to get, uh, the, the bulk of Rohak from, we're going to get, we're going to Helm's Deep and Saruman. We're going to get, uh, uh, you know, mo- almost all the Gondor story, certainly the siege of Gondor and battle with Pelennor field. We're going to get, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kirith Ungol. Uh, we're going to get, you know, all, all these things, uh, for the first time. So, uh, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be really fun. I will be broadcasting that here, um, on, uh, on, Twitch as well. Uh, there's also a go to webinar link, which is what we've traditionally used for the Mythgard Academy classes. Um, we use that instead of Discord. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. So so we will um, um, we'll have that set up. You can find that on the the the, the web page of go to uh, Mythgard.org under the Mythgard Academy uh, tab. You will see a page for the War of the Ring class and. Uh, uh, and you, so you can get the, the registration link for that, or you can just show up and listen on Twitch. That also works. So, and that concludes my, and i lots of awesome stuff going on, right? I was, I kept, my list of announcements kept growing and I'm like, oh man, I, you know, I hate to, you know, burden the beginning of the class with this many announcements, but there are so many awesome things. So I just couldn't, I just, there's, there's, what, what could I do? There was totally nothing to be done. All right. Um, so, um, Let's uh, let's go back to the book now. All right. Um, title of tonight's class is "Home Like Enough," right? Uh, referring to Frodo's comment that he thinks that the inside of the inn will be home like enough, and indeed, of course, it will prove so. And that's going to be one of the ma- ma- you know after Sam's um, initial intimidation 
right? Uh, at and I, uh, um, Matt DeForest was posting on this in the discussion boards, and I, 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 I heartily agree. I think it's chiefly the scale of the houses there in Bree, which are so intimidating uh, to Sam and make him feel so ill at ease when they're walking down the streets. And of course, but as soon as we get inside the Prancing Pony, we have some very different things, right? We have a very different impression going on, and that's what we're going to be focusing on here tonight. We got through the introduction with Butterbur last time, uh, and now we're going to see if we can get to the common room and maybe, maybe even get to meet Strider. We'll see. I don't want to be rash, but we'll see. Um, okay. Uh, one quick, there were, again, a bunch of really cool comments on the uh, discussion boards today, including some really interesting speculations about the seven stars and, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and some other things. So uh, really, really neat stuff. Don't have time to talk about all of it. But um, this was a really great point uh, by Croker, who may or may not be an actual frog. So I thought that was, uh, I really, I particularly wanted to highlight this. Um, he says, Pippin asks, do you think we'll be pursued tonight? Tom says, no, I hope not tonight, nor perhaps the next day. But don't trust his judgment, because out east his knowledge fails, his thought is rooted in hope. Indeed, don't trust it, his judgment, because they were in fact pursued that night. He's correct that his knowledge fails out east, because that night they would have ended up dead, save for Nob and Strider. The hobbits actually walked right into another trap. Tom adds that his advice is good till this day is over, and it was, but after that they should trust to luck. I think this suggests that Tom has no real knowledge beyond his borders of where the Nazgul were searching. Out east must mean anything east of his borders. None of the Nazgul were actually in his country where he is master, but were all beyond where his mastery slash knowledge ended. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that that's very true. I mean, it, it, it's true when you look back, uh, as Croker here is doing, on Tom's last words, he does not turn out to be quite right, right? I mean, there, he, there's... Uh, um, they are being pursued. Now, they're not going to get caught that night, and that's perfectly true. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, things are not quite as safe. And, and, and as Croker points out, he's not speaking with any confidence, right? Um, he tells them not to trust his judgment because out east his knowledge fails. But I think that the uh, uh, Croker's central point here, that out east... It's, when Tom says it, you can kind of read that, right? You can kind of interpret that as if what he is talking about is, like, Mordor ways, right? Like, out east, my knowledge fails, sounds like, you know, because then he says, you know, Tom is no master of, you know, riders from, from far away, right? So it makes it sound like, oh, you know, I, I have no power in Mordor itself, right? But that's not what Tom is saying. Tom doesn't have any, doesn't, you know, when he says out east, my knowledge fails, he literally, like, Bree. His knowledge fails before you cross the uh, before you cross the road uh, into Bree, um, and uh, yeah, Tom, it is interesting that as far as we can tell, the Black Riders never enter his territory. Um, that was it, it's interesting that that was not originally true, right? In the very in the early drafts, uh, there were Black Riders who approached Tom. Um, uh, in fact, the dream, the hoof marks all around the house and stuff, there were actual black riders like riding around the house uh, in one of the earlier drafts. Um, so those uh, those hoof prints, which survived into the later drafts, actually had been had been made by 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 real horses uh, in the earlier draft. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah, he, 
Tolkien changed that, right? And uh, one of the things that we can see is this sort of increased isolation of Bombadil. No one's, the Black Riders are not coming in uh, to Tom Bombadil's uh, uh, terrain. Um, But um, anyway, um, okay. uh, Yeah, the Riders don't dare pass the girdle of Bombadil. Exactly. Erocheb, yeah, he doesn't officially have a girdle, right? But he might as well have. Uh, his his borders are really well are are that well delineated, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, see, for Thoughtless, I agree. I mean, so for Thoughtless is quoting when when Bombadil says Tom is not master of Black Riders uh, from beyond his land. No, he's not. Um, does that mean he couldn't? Uh, command them, that he wouldn't have mastery over them if they came in? Oh, I think he could, right? Um, I think that this means, like, he's not going to come with them and protect them from the Black Riders. Like, it's not, it's like, it's not his job, right? But if they came to his house, you know, could he show them off? I'm pretty sure he could, actually. Um, but, um, but we'll, uh, uh, I mean, I, here's the main reason I think that he could is the line that stays with Frodo uh, or around Frodo, not in Frodo's mouth, but uh, around Frodo at the um, at the crossing of the exactly Arrowhead, what you're typing right now, um, at the the crossing of the Bruin Inn, right when Frodo says tells them to stay back, right. Um, uh, he commands them to stop, and and the narrator says that he did not have the power of Bombadil. Right? Clearly, Bombadil, uh, had he been making that command, uh, totally could have done it. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, Eric Hab, that's just what I was thinking. But anyway, I, like I said, I, I do think that um, uh, the the overall idea that he um, that Bombadil is you know, has these extraordinary powers within his realm. And yet, uh, this really emphasizes how limited, uh, his realm is. He really doesn't know much, um, about what's going on outside. And he seems genuinely uninformed about the movement of the Black Riders. He does not seem to have any insight. Uh, and even again, as Croker has pointed out, um, even when he says, when he, when he tries to answer Pippin's original question, his answer is, I hope not tonight, nor perhaps the next day. And that, it turns out that that statement is every bit as uncertain as it sounds, right? Um, I hope not, right? Maybe not tomorrow. Who knows, right? He doesn't know, and it's pretty clear he doesn't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, so great point, Croker. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's keep going. So back to Butterbur. He led them a short way down a passage and opened a door. Here is a nice little parlor, he said. I hope it will suit. Excuse me now, I'm that busy. No time for talking. I must be trotting. It's hard work for two legs, but I don't get thinner. I'll look in again later. If you want anything, ring the handbell and Nob will come. If you don't come, ring and shout. Off he went at last and left them feeling rather breathless. He seemed capable of an endless stream of talk, however busy he might be. They found themselves in a small and cozy room. There was a bit of bright fire burning on the hearth, and in front of it were some low and comfortable chairs. There was a round table, already spread with a white cloth, and on it was a large handbell. But Nob, the hobbit servant, came bustling in long before they thought of ringing. 
He brought candles and a tray full of plates. "'Will you be wanting anything to drink, masters?' he asked. "'And shall I show you the bedrooms while your supper is got ready?' They were washed and in, 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 in the middle of good deep mugs of beer when Mr. Butterbur and Nob came in again. In a twinkling, the table was laid. There was hot soup, cold meats, a blackberry tart, new loaves, slabs of butter, and half a ripe cheese. Good plain food, as good as the Shire could show, and homelike enough to dispel the last of Sam's misgivings, already much relieved by the excellence of the beer. Okay. Um... Lady Shmebulak, yeah, uh, uh, just pointing out that it's 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 strange not hearing uh, Tom Bombadil's meter anymore uh, in the dialogue. Um, but you're right that there is Butterbur does have a rhythm of his own, right? It's not as marked, obviously, as Tom Bombadil's, but you can notice. I was noticing that too, actually, as I was reading it through. Um, look at his sentences, right? I hope it will suit. Excuse me now. I'm that busy. No time for talking. I must be trotting. It's hard work for two legs, but I don't get thinner. I'll look. Uh, notice that the there's the only... All of his sentences are simple sentences, just strung together, right? Pretty short, simple sentences, rapid fire, right? I hope it will suit. Excuse me now. I'm that busy. No time for talking, right? The only complex sentences he uses, you know, that is sentences with subordinate clauses, are the conditional ones. If you want anything, ring the handbell, and Nob will come. If he don't come, ring and shout, right? Um, uh, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> Gogonthier points out that Butterbur doesn't mention the color of his boots or, 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 or jacket even once. Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, right. And uh, so, <laughs> no, JJ, this does not mean that Butterbur is part Black Rider. Uh, it's a totally different cadence, right? Um, yeah, but it is, but, but his, his, his way of talking here is, is very, uh, very interestingly thought through, right? Um, it's this continual rattle of speech, but it's not long sentences, right? This is somebody who talks in, who, who, who is capable of an endless stream of talk, but he doesn't just rattle on, right? That is to say, it's not like he's, he's using really long, you know, endless sort of sentences, right? Or protracted thoughts all connected together. That's not how he talks. That's not how he thinks. Of course not, right? Because he's directing thoughts here and there, possibly to multiple people, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, uh, several of you uh, are talking about the, the food. Yeah, there wouldn't be a menu. You go to an inn and you say, give me what you've got. and uh, uh, And this would be what they have. Like, for instance, they might put you know, a, a large joint of meat on. And so you would get a cut of that meat, whatever they had, you know, roasting that day, um, for instance. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is pretty standard, um, pretty standard food here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and as far as who's going to pay for it, they do have money, with them. Um, there will come a time in the next chapter when Frodo will get concerned that they don't have that much money with them. But when he is thinking, we don't have that much money with us, you've got to remember the scale, 
right? Uh, he's thinking, we don't have enough money to, like, bribe people with, right? They have enough to pay for a meal at the inn, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I love this description of this meal. Um, I love the overall effect of comfort and coziness that this passage creates, right? Both the second paragraph here on this slide, that is the description of the room. There was a bit of bright fire burning on the hearth, and in front of it were some low and comfortable chairs. Um, the round table spread with a white cloth. The whole place sounds so neat and cozy and inviting. And then, of course, we get the description of the, the food on the table, which appears in a twinkling, right? As they're sitting there uh, drinking their drinking their mugs of beer. And then, you know, this, uh, what really sounds like a fairly wonderful meal is brought in. And I will have to admit, this is one of my two favorite meals from my ch childhood. Uh, I would say um, really the only meal that competes with this one is for like meals I loved to read and think about and imagine when I was a kid. <clears throat> the only one that competes with this, of course, is the tea that Mr. Tumnus gives Lucy in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, uh, th those, those, those two meals were by far my favorite literary meals. Um, but... Um, Anyway, yeah. Now, Boomful, that's a really great question. You know, wondering what their money was. I have no idea what coinage they used or, or what, what mint. Uh, there, there does seem to be money. Did they have paper money? Was it all coins? If so, who mints the coins, right? Um, I don't know. I, I have no idea of those questions or, or of the answer to those questions. I can't think of anywhere where that is ever said. The idea of money, you know, that the Shire is a is a is a money culture rather than like a bartering culture, um, is very explicit. Um, but you know, I don't. Um, um, we don't have any information really about that. Um, yeah, Marianne, we're going to get the reference to silver pennies later on, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, again, who mints the pennies, right? You know, where, where does that happen? I don't really know. Yeah, a couple of you are mentioning uh, Hogwarts feasts. Um, I, uh, I hear that. I hear that, of course, I was too old. Uh, those are not books of my childhood. Uh, so uh, so th those don't count. Though I suspect if I had been a child, uh, the, some of the descriptions, especially the descriptions of the feasts in Sorcerer's Stone, when it's all novel to Harry, um, th that, I think that would probably rank up, that would have ranked up there uh, uh, for me. But uh, anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, Mike, I think that's a really good... Uh, that's a really good point. I think it's exactly what we see happening here. Mike's talking about how the hobbits are being um, sort of tugged back and forth between comfort and discomfort, right? I mean, they've been in this bizarre, weird, not to mention wildly dangerous fairy realm, right? Old Forest, Tom Bombadil's house, uh, and the Barrow Downs. And now the town is super normal, right? Compared to that, the returning to the road even is like a returning to the mundane world uh, from fairy, uh, as we discussed. Then of course they get into the town and it's like yeah they've come but it's but it's intimidating right the houses are all really big so they're 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 distanced from it and they feel small and it's scary and intimidating but the in food is as good as the shire as you say so uh, and then of course we are going to get the scare you know there's going to be Strider and there's going to be the Black Riders so we'll see them kind of 
negotiating this, right? But this is why I think this scene, not a whole lot happens right here, right, on this passage, but I think that it is, um, it's a big deal. Um, and this is a, this is a super important transition moment. If you think about it, Mike, most of the stuff that happens is bad, right? That is, you know, of the, you know, the, the comforting versus the like intimidating scale tips pretty heavily towards intimidating. You've got the, the kind of creepy exchange with Harry at the gate. Uh, and then you've got, you get the meeting with Strider and who knows what to make of him. And then you're going to get be attacked by the bike riders that night. And the whole town is too big and the people are scary. Um, and then you've got all these refugees in town, right? So you've got all these like strangers to, to say everyone's uncomfortable. So this is kind of atmosphere, right? Cause everybody's uncomfortable. So there's lots of things to be kind of nervous about, but, on the other side of that, right, is like the meal. <laughs> this this room, this parlor, and this meal are two of the biggest things that are, you know, that, that weigh on the other side of the scale um, that really make them feel, uh, you know, uh, happy and, um, and comfortable uh, and feel like they're at home. Um, and that, I think, is... Um, is 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 a super important element of Brie that we want to make sure that we really that we really focus on, um, and certainly I agree, Lady Schmabulak, that the stay at Tom's house was very homelike um, and very comforting, and Tom's hospitality is even better than Butterbur's, which is very good, right? But Butterbur didn't make them all individual slippers, right? He didn't have a, a special custom tailored set of slippers made for each one of them, so there's that. Um, but I agree, it's not. It's it's uh, comforting, but it's not exactly homelike, right? It's it was it's it's strange. It's it's certainly uh, certainly uh, weird and kind of magical, even though lovely. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Good. Um, okay. Let's see. Um, so let's. Um, let's go. You guys are still talking about coins. I hear you. I don't want to talk about coins right now. I want to focus on this because it's only very tangentially related. However, uh, some of you might put together uh, some interesting posts on coins uh, for the discussion board, and I'll come back to it uh, in a notes and queries section uh, a, uh, uh, in, a future, in a future class. Um, all right. Let's keep going. The landlord hovered round for a little and then prepared to leave them. I don't know whether you would care to join the company when you have supped, he said, standing at the door. Perhaps you would rather go to your beds. Still, the company would be very pleased to welcome you if you had a mind. We don't get outsiders, travelers from the Shire, I should say, begging your pardon, often. And we like to hear a bit of news, or any story or song you may have in mind. But as you please, ring the bell if you lack anything. So refreshed and encouraged did they feel at the end of their supper, about three-quarters of an hour steady going, not hindered by unnecessary talk, that Frodo, Pippin, and Sam decided to join the company. Mary said it would be too stuffy. I shall sit here quietly by the fire for a bit, and perhaps go out later for a sniff of the air. Mind your P's and Q's, and don't forget that you are supposed to be escaping in secret, and are still on the high road, and not very far from the Shire. All right, said Pippin, mind yourself. Don't get lost, and don't forget that it's safer indoors. Several points here. First, I love 
Butterbur's characterization of the people in the inn, right? The people who are in the common room as the company. Um, the way it um, the way it makes I was saying it makes it sound probably genuinely is, right? Uh, the group of people in the common room at the inn are, are probably there all the time, right? They are the local group, right? Um, this idea of like a, a, a like the, the, the set group of regulars that's always there at the Prancing Pony, this sense of real community and camaraderie that we get just in that, the use of that one word, calling them the company, um, I think um, is another really important element here, right? Th- this is a, and to some extent, I don't know, perhaps to some extent helps to moderate. It can't remove, but it helps to moderate perhaps how foolish the decision to go into the common room was. I mean, there, don't forget that you are supposed to be escaping in secret. Yeah. Don't forget that you're supposed to be escaping in secret, right? Let's go hang out in the common room of the inn and chat with everybody is not what you do when you're trying to escape in secret. Um, you'd think that, um, you'd think that they would have like been trying to prevent them being seen coming into the inn, right? Rather than, you know, like far from on the opposite end of like, Hey, let's go hang out in the common room and chat with people. Um, you know, anyway, it's, it's, uh, very hard to understand why they would do that. Right. Or rather to say this another way, it shows us a lot about them, right? They talk about adventures, right? I see you've been having adventures without me. They are not experienced adventurers. They don't have any idea what they're doing. Um, this is still a hobbit walking party, right? I mean, they've 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 had adventures by now, right? I mean, the whole old you know the whole fairy experience of chapters six through eight was a big adventure, a series of adventures. Um, they've already experienced more and survived more than almost anybody else in the Shire. So I'm not trying to downplay what they've already been through, or even how scared they've been, or their you know their their realization of the the danger that they stand in from the Black Riders. You know, they've all already learned some and grown some since they left the Shire, but honestly, they still have no idea what they're doing. They still think, um, they, they're still kind of thinking like it's a hobbit walking party. Um, and it seems almost as if they are eager to forget, right? Um, they are comfortable, very comfortable. Uh, and they... Yeah, and for Thomas, that's a really neat point. I wonder, um, I wonder if uh, they're thinking too much about Bilbo, right? They're like, what is this? Is this is this Rivendell, right? It's like Rivendell, right? I mean, they've heard Bilbo's stories about how you know when you know on his adventure he, he like so again like like his stay in Rivendell, right? Is this a short rest for them, right? They, do do they think they're in chapter three of The Hobbit now that they've come to some place which is safe and secure and and you know this is a homely house, right? Uh, you know, I don't know, right? It's it's hard to, uh, 
when you kind of sit back and you think about the whole thing, it's really hard to imagine how they could be so silly as to do this. Um, and yet, yeah, and Alexander, you're absolutely right. He says that hobbits are made of stern stuff indeed. This morning, like the morning of this day, they woke up in the barrow in the in the garments and jewels of dead men. <laughs> yes, yes, they did. Yes, they did. It was about 12 hours ago that they were returning to consciousness, having been cast into an enchanted sleep by a barrow white, to find themselves stripped of their clothes and laid out as if for a funeral on top of a barrow. Yes. Um, and, uh, uh, and yeah, so Tony, exactly. They have found the second to last homely house. Uh, and uh, this, this is, uh, this is the penultimate homely house, right? Um, and they, and, and, and they, uh, they seem to feel like they're kind of, they're kind of there. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Arrow. Erocheb is kind of charitably wondering if keeping to themselves might draw other kinds of attention in such a social climate. Um, you know, so if they don't go join the company, will that will that increase suspicion? Possibly. <laughs> I mean, it might. But like, then what? <laughs> What's the worst that's going to happen? People are going to ask about them. Um, people are going to be watching to see them leave. I mean, you know, I don't know. Um, uh yeah, yeah. Um, it's... So, yeah, I don't want to be... I don't want to be too hard on them, but I don't want to give them sort of a free pass for this either. Um, even Mary... Mary reminds them not to do anything dumb, right? Which, of course, they're going to do dumb things. Um, I forget who was somebody just a couple minutes ago pointed out that nobody takes anybody's advice from this uh, from this page. Right. Uh, Pippin specifically is going to absolutely um, fail to mind his P's and Q's. And Mary is not going to mind himself either and is, in fact, uh, going to get lost and forget that it's safer indoors. Um, all of those things are uh, are going to happen. Um uh, so yeah, um, what Mary does is dumb too, Seth. I agree with that. Um, I don't think that um, I don't think that Mary's. You know, why doesn't Mary go with him? He says it would be too stuffy, right? I mean, there's. I don't think that we can see um, like strategy on Mary's part, right? I don't think that this is like Mary thinking, like M- Mary thinking like better or more shrewdly than the other hobbits are. I think, I think this is not Mary passing a test that the other three of them fail because wandering off in the nighttime in this strange town, uh, with black riders known to be nearby is probably dumber than going into the company as far as I'm concerned. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't think uh, I don't think that we can give Mary uh, extra points for not going into the common room uh, for in, in that in that ways. Um, and JJ, I'm not sure. JJ asks if uh, it's safer indoors is meant to be a reminder about the Black Riders or that they're just thinking about strange towns in general. I think it's the Black Riders. Um, don't forget that it's safer indoors. I suspect that. I mean, you know, it may well be that like there's. Uh, 
you know, stories and circulations about Bree, but I can't, I, I don't think like he's afraid of getting randomly mugged is, is what, uh, is what Pippin is thinking of here. Um, mostly because I don't like that kind of action is not something you'd normally see in a small town like Bree. Uh, um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, agreed, Tony. It really, this, this whole scene really does go, uh, uh, really does go to show that they're, that none of them are really wise enough for this. They all really kind of fail this test. Um, and yeah, Tony, I agree with you. It does show that they really, they really needed Gandalf, right? Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, Okay, I'll make sure. Is there anything else in here that I wanted to make sure I emphasized? Um, I don't think so. They do want looking after Oakwig, absolutely. Um, Yeah, Alex points out they failed just as they failed at the Barrows. It is true. It is true that If you think about it, right? If you think about all of the choices that they have made since Frodo left Bag End, it's not a very glamorous list, right? I mean, the let's go walking across the Shire. I mean, I guess that didn't wasn't a disaster in the sense that if they had been riding, been driving a you know a cart or a carriage on the road. Um, they would almost certainly have been overtaken by the Black Rider sooner, right? So I guess that one turned out to be okay. Um, you know, there was the short cross, a, a shortcut across the Marish that didn't work out so well. Um, they, uh, the decision to go through the old forest did not really pan out uh, uh, either. They did not do well in listening to Tom... Uh, in the Barrow Downs, right? The whole let's stop for a protracted lunch by this convenient standing stone didn't work out too well. Uh, And now joining the common room at the end. But of course you notice what all of those things have in common, right? Um, uh, What all of those things have in common is they all turned out well, actually, right? None of them are particularly good decisions, um, but all of them, you know, so let's go walking across the Shire uh, turned out to be way more dangerous than uh, than it sort of seemed like it was gonna, right? Um, and yet, again, it turned out to be better than if they had uh, driven, I think. Um, and of course, the shortcut to the Marish didn't go well or anything like as planned, but it got them to Farmer Maggot, who helped them to get, and perhaps they would not have gotten uh, to the ferry without his help, right? The trip into the old forest, super bad idea, it turns out, and would have led them to certain death on that same afternoon that they set out. Um, you remember Fatty Bulger's ominous remarks about hoping that they wouldn't need rescuing by this time, you know, by, by tonight, right? Um, and they did need rescuing, right? But they got it and met Tom Bombadil, and that turned out to be a really good thing. And again, rescued from the Barrow. Alexander, it is like the bad luck in The Hobbit, 
right? Not quite as dramatic in the sense that the bad things that happened to Bilbo and company in The Hobbit um, sort of tend to divert them into uniquely beneficial routes, right? Which they would certainly never have found. It's not quite that dramatic, but it is in the same kind of ballpark, right? Um, and of course, we're going to get the same thing here. They're going to the common room, which is a terrible, terrible decision, is going to lead to meeting Strider, right? So um, we're going to continue to see this same pattern. Um, and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, someone will always show up to pull them out of their bad situations, Alex. But again, it's not even just they're always going to be rescued in the nick of time by another person. Um, it could be, Tony, that some there is some other power at work looking out for them. I rather suspect that that is the case, in fact. Um, but that's part of the thing, right? You know, that, that they're not... And as one of yours was pointing out earlier on, um, they don't... Um, they don't. They they weren't picked for this because they were. Quite, remember what Gandalf said to Frodo, right? Um, when Frodo says, "Why was I chosen?" and Gandalf says, "Not for any strength or wisdom that others don't possess," right? <laughs> yeah, right. Not because you're qualified. Uh, don't worry. It's not. Uh, it's not for that. It's not for that reason. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, now, Tiber, I do suspect Strider would have found them in any case, but how and why? Remember that you know the whole, the the bulk of chapter ten is going to be focused on their acceptance of Strider. Um, it would it's it's kind of interesting to think about. Sure, I mean Aragorn was looking out for them, right? He would certainly not have uh, have just kind of given up had they never and and never met them, right? Had they not come into the common room. But how might they have met? Butterbur wasn't going to let him in to see him, right? So he would have to, what, come up to him on the street? Hi, I'm a big, strange dude who looks weird and nobody else trusts. Um, can I guide you into the wilderness? Like, how would that conversation have gone exactly, you know? Um, anyway, it's, it's, um, it's interesting uh, that one of the upshots of the near disaster in the common room at the Prancing Pony is putting Frodo and Strider on the footing that they have, right? Um, Strider's helping them immediately. Um, and even before they have had any kind of conversation, Strider's actions have already given Frodo reason to think positively, right? To, to suspect that Strider might be trustworthy. We'll talk about this more, of course, uh, later on when we get there. Um, Exactly. Gallander, exactly as you say, they wouldn't have had as much reason to trust him immediately uh, if they had not just blown it so badly themselves. That's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, anyway, okay. Um, well, they might have gotten Gandalf's letter first, Tony, but they might not have. That's another thing. Um, would Butterbur even have remembered the letter? if it hadn't been for what happened in the common room. I'm not sure. It seems like it's the incident in the common room that jogs his memory more than anything else. Um, but we'll see. Again, getting so ahead of ourselves here. Um, all right. Let's keep going. The company was in the big common room of the inn. The gathering was large and mixed, as Frodo discovered, when his eyes got used to the light. This came chiefly from a blazing log fire, for the three lamps hanging from the beams were dim and half-veiled in smoke. 
Barlaman Butterbur was standing near the fire, talking to a couple of dwarves and one or two strange-looking men. On the benches were various folk, men of Bree, a collection of local hobbits, sitting chattering together, a few more dwarves, and other vague figures difficult to make out away in the shadows and corners. As soon as the Shire hobbits entered, there was a chorus of welcome from the Breelanders. The strangers, especially those that had come up the greenway, stared at them curiously. The landlord introduced the newcomers to the Bree folk so quickly that, though they caught many names, they were seldom sure who the names belonged to. The men of Bree seemed all to have rather botanical, and to the Shire folk rather odd names, such as Rushlight, Goatleaf, Heathertoes, Appledore, Thistlewool, and Fernie, not to mention Butterbur. Some of the hobbits had similar names. The Mugworts, for instance, seemed numerous, but most of them had natural names, such as Banks, Brockhouse, Longholes, Sandheaver, and Tunnelly, many of which were used in the Shire. There were several underhills from Staddle, and as they could not imagine sharing a name without being related, they took Frodo to their hearts as a long-lost cousin. Okay. Um, what do we notice? First of all, that description in the first paragraph... An interesting, um, interesting point of contrast. That description fits well enough the um, um, the prancing pony as it was depicted in Peter Jackson's film, right? I mean, that's pretty much what it looked like. Um, what really strikes me is. And I get this. I, you know, remember having this first impression when seeing the Fellowship of the Ring film for the first time. Um, Jackson chose to go a very different direction with the Prancing Pony. Right, the Prancing Pony was primarily scary and intimidating, and the hobbits were made to look tiny and vulnerable in the Prancing Pony. Right, um, it's in that way. It's almost the opposite of the way that Tolkien depicts it, right? Where the where it's so homelike and it's so friendly that they forget themselves, feeling and acting like they're home with friends, right? Um, totally different. And yet, and yet, the description works, right? In both places. It's just sort of, it's interesting to me that this description, which I believe in the book, is designed to convey a similar kind of hominess, right? Now, there's a lot of strangeness here. It's not like a common room in a pub. It's not like the Green Dragon, right? Uh, it's not even like the Golden Perch. Um, this is because, I mean, they're dwarves, right? And strange-looking men. Um, uh, you know, so it's, it's and, and not to mention the men of Bree as well, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Oakwig says Jackson went Moss Eisley canti- uh, Cantina uh, on the Prancing Pony. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, uh, it it serves that function, essentially. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, um, right. Um, whereas, again, here, the function is quite, is quite different, right? Notice how, um, again, with the parlor... And with the meal and everything, right, we have this 
it's just like you're at home, right? This is, you know, you're finally safe. You are in a, a warm and safe space with the comforts of home. You're, it's like a little part of the Shire here. Now, you know it isn't the Shire, right? It, the room still is, although the chairs are nice and low and everything, so it's comfortable to, for, for the Hobbit. It's clearly a Hobbit parlor, and yet um, they go into the company and they're immediately... Um, uh, they're immediately reminded that um, it's it's not the Shire, right? This is not the Green Dragon. And yet, it also kind of looks and feels. I think the description, you know, the, the blazing log fire, the three lamps hanging from the beams, uh, dimmed being half-veiled in smoke, um, the the sort of tableau of Butterbur standing by the fire, talking to uh, to dwarves and men, even though the men are strange looking. Um, uh, I think that this is, we're, we're, we kind of see both, right? We see both things happening here. Both this sense of, of comfort and warmth and friendliness, as I think that, I do think this is what the association would be. A, uh, a big common room with a lot of people in Right, uh, 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 drinking, smoking—very important. Smoking uh, and chatting together. Yes, it's different, right? Yes, that you know, it doesn't look like the Shire. They're reminded that they're not home, and yet it looks and feels like home. JJ um, uh, <laughs> says, "At least it doesn't have Ted Sandyman in it." I suppose that is a point in its favor, right? Um, yeah, yeah. See, Alex, the fact that Butterbur introduces them to the regulars, again, see, it, it shows you that they're regulars, right? You know, it's the company, right? This is not just, like, come in and, you know, it's, it would be kind of weird if you were staying at a hotel, like an American hotel, and you, like, went out into the, you know, into the lounge, or, like, you went to the bar at the hotel, and, like, the bartender starts introducing everybody at the bar, like, that would be weird, right? But that's not this. Right, that's not at all what this situation is. Um, this is um, this is a friendly, tight knit group of people, and there are also strangers there, right? Um, but the the, the tight knit group of people wants an introduction, right? And they get one. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Croker, I, it's much more like Cheers than it is like. Uh, than it is like. I mean, Cheers is like the only American uh, point of reference that we have, right? I mean, I, 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 I think that uh, you know people in the UK would be able to uh, to to relate even even still today to this kind of pub culture uh, than uh, than most Americans can. But um, um, but yeah, yeah. See exactly, Tom. I don't think that kind of introduction would have been weird uh, at a time like this. Or you're thinking like. Like what I was saying with the bartender introducing people, um, well, yeah, I mean, under the circumstances, yeah, because you're never going to have a room in which everybody's a stranger to each other, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, we do have as um, who uh, who was oh yeah, Tony was pointing out the difference between the reception of them by the brief folk and the reception of them by the by the, the Southerners, right? So you've got the, how the locals treat them and how the out-of-towners treat them, right? Um, the out-of-towners the out are curious about them. They stare at them curiously, which is interesting, 
right? Because, of course, everybody's going to be curious about them. That's The strange thing to me about that is that it doesn't seem strange. Um, that is why, why say that exactly? Surely everyone is looking at them curiously? I would think the Brelanders, and remember Nob's curiosity, right? Nob stopped with like his mouth staring open in, in, uh, in curiosity when he saw them. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. Uh, Croker, that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if how many of the Southerners have heard rumors that there are people, there are folks, black chaps, you know, um, asking about a party of hobbits out of the Shire, right? Um, it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder how common that knowledge is among the Southerners coming up. Um, yeah. Uh, because the mere fact that they're hobbits from the Shire, it literally can't strike the Southerners as more strange than it does to the Brelanders, right? If you're coming from the South, right, if you're a human coming up to Bree from the South, probably the Breland hobbits are the first hobbits you've ever seen, most likely, right? We know there are some hobbits that live away to the South, but still, uh, as far as we can tell, you know, there, there's there's... We don't know of anywhere else south of Bree where there are clear big settlements of hobbits like there are in the Bree villages and in the Shires. So if you're a refugee coming up the Greenway from the south, you may never have seen a hobbit before, and certainly not this many of them living in one place. So if it's merely hobbits that you're curious about, they can't be more curious about Shire hobbits than they are about Bree hobbits, right? Um... So it does seem a little... Whereas, again, the Brelanders are going to be looking with much more curiosity because they're like, hey, dude, we've never... You're from the Shire far out, right? You know, we know all about the Shire, but we haven't seen anyone from the Shire in a really long time. Um, exactly, Tom. I would exactly think that if you're from, you know, the greater Dunland area, um, uh, Bree hobbits and Shire hobbits are going to be much of a muchness. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so... So yeah, I'm kind of thinking that their interest in this, in in these four hobbits out of the Shire might be a little bit more pointed, right? Um, now we I, we don't know that for sure. We can't prove that, but I'm wondering if maybe they've just heard rumors or something. I don't really know. Um, uh, it's possible, of course, that they're just curious, right? Maybe maybe that's the case. Um, but, um, anyway, let's, oh, the, uh, the names. I love the list of natural names, right? So the natural names are all about digging, right? Banks, Brockhouse. Um, what's a Brockhouse? What's a Brockhouse? What's a Brockhouse and why is that a natural name? Brockhouse is a badger hole. Absolutely. Uh, so, because that's what a brock is, remember? We talked about brocks a little, badger brocks a little ways back uh, when we were talking about Tom Bombadil. Yeah, it's a badger hole. Um, so, it's a natural name in that, what, a hobbit hole is kind of like a badger hole? Not exactly like a badger hole, but at least kind of metaphorically like a badger hole, right? Um, it's kind of interesting that Badger Hole is a natural name, actually. Uh, Longholes, Sandheaver, okay, Sandheaver, 
right? I heave sand. That's what my family does. We're the, we're the heavers of sand, right? So, uh, so there you go. Um, uh, yeah, and Tony, absolutely. Doesn't the word natural just scream bias, right? Doesn't that just show you uh, how the narrative is biased from a Hobbit perspective uh, and, and from a Shire Hobbit perspective in particular, that those are called natural names? Um, but um, anyway, yeah, so these are natural names for Hobbits. Whoa. Sorry. Where did my... That was weird. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't touch anything, and all of a sudden my slides vanished. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but sorry. Trying to figure out why it's doing that. Um, uh, anyway. Yeah, see, Tamara, I think it's it's only natural in connection with Hobbit culture, right? Because if you think about it, there's really no other sense in which the word natural applies to those names and not to the others, right? I mean, what could be more natural in a more sort of general sense, right, than uh, botanical names, right? Mugwort and uh, Fernie and Appledore, right? Those are perfectly natural names in the in the in the general sense of the of the word natural, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Um, and you're right, JJ, people in the Shire do use flower names for given names, um, but not for family names. Um, yeah, the, and, but that's the other interesting thing, right, is of those natural names, we know very few of them, right? I mean, whom have we met? None of the hobbits that we've met have natural names of this kind. Do we know any of these? Right? We don't know any Tunnelies, or Sandheavers, or Bankses, or Brockhouses. Right? Um, you know, we know Brace Girdles, and Proudfoots, and Tooks, and Brandybucks, and uh, Gamgees. But uh, Sandyman, yeah, Sandyman fits. Um... Isn't that interesting, right? He's the only one, isn't he? Is there anyone else that we met in the Shire who has a natural name? One of these kinds of names? <laughs> Proudfoot. Now, we haven't met Farmer Cotton yet, though he's an interesting point, right? Um, as, of course, he does have a botanical last name. Um, but... He's a special case. Um, maggot. There you go. That's a natural name, too. Because, although, but I thought that, you know, uh, hobbit holes were not filled with the ends of worms, right? <laughs> Why would they have maggots in? Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Right, maggot is is a magpie, not the not the fly larva. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. It's just I just wanted to make a joke about the ends of worms, um, but um, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, uh, 
Um, yes, anyway, I'm just, I, I was always fascinated that the list of natural names doesn't include more names that we already knew from the Shire. Um, maybe this is just to emphasize the Underhill connection, right? That, uh, um, I mean, if there were a bunch of other, you know, names that we knew, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, true, Tony, maybe it's a class thing. We've only really hung out with the gentry. Uh, and it's true that Sandyman, whom we've met, has uh, uh, has one of those natural names, and theirs is not an aristocratic family, right? Neither of the Gamgees, but their name is a little bit different. Um, and, Tony, I would agree, names like Sandheaver and Tunnelly do not sound very aristocratic, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Not that Baggins sounds especially aristocratic, really. Um, but then again, I suppose it wasn't really very aristocratic. Um, there is that sense, right, that uh, um, Bilbo's dad, Bungo, kind of married up, right? Uh, I don't know if I'd go so far as Nouveau Riche, Villori, but... You know, it's clear that most of his money was his wife's money, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Gamgee is tricky. The name Gamgee. Um, it means cotton wool. Uh, really, is what it means. But it, it's complicated because it's one of those names that Tolkien has confessed has just real-world roots. Um, I mean, there are Gamgees in the world, and of course there's that wonderful letter, if you've never read it, you should. Uh, the letter when he writes to his son Christopher, telling him in great excitement that he received a letter from somebody named Sam Gamgee, who hadn't read The Lord of the Rings but heard about it. Uh, and uh, and he told him, was so delighted to get a letter from a dude named Sam Gamgee, that he sent him a signed copy of the of the books and was and uh, and was like, I will have you know that the Sam Gamgee character is one of the chief, is, is the, the, uh, the, the, the chief hero of the books um so um it's uh it's uh it's it's cute but anyway the the name the name gamgee uh uh ham gamgee in particular was was a joke in uh in the family and of course the the name gamgee was associated with uh uh with cotton wool it was a brand name like you know gamgee tissue was like kleenex i mean it was uh uh, it was a it was it was it was the name of a guy who invented this kind of cotton wool, and that's where the where the name came from. And um, anyway, so that's kind of why he marries into the cotton family. It's a joke, like it's a total inside joke, um, uh, which people don't get anymore because that name Gamgee isn't used in that way anymore. But um, yeah. Yes, Aragorn, exactly. He did then joke about what he would do if he got a letter from somebody signing himself as Gollum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tom, I always think that when I read that letter. Like, I, I wonder if Sam Gamgee, who sent him that letter, like, had any idea of what the value of that, co that, that you know, inscribed copy of The Lord of the Rings would be worth someday. Absolutely. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, um, getting sidetracked now on names. Look at the strangeness that we can see. Again, the, the comforting feel of the pub room, and yet the strangeness of the strange characters there in the first paragraph, and then Frodo being taken to their hearts as a long-lost cousin uh, by the time we get to the end, right? They're being treated like fam. This is this is a very family kind of affair, right? They're treating him like family. He's being introduced to them like, uh, like family. Um, it's a... Uh, this is this is entirely delightful. If they were thinking, you know, Rivendellish thoughts, right? If they were thinking of you know the penultimate homely house and stuff, um, their thoughts would seem to be confirmed, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh. I can't. I don't have it with me, Ambrosius. Um, somebody who has access to Tolkien's letters, please. Uh, could you please look it up and remind me what's the number of the Sam Gamgee letter, the one I was just referring to, where he writes back to Sam Gamgee? Um, uh, if you can look it up, uh, remind me. I, it's uh, it's way over there. I'd have to get up and walk over there to it. Okay. Uh, one more, and then we'll we'll shift. The Bree Hobbits were, in fact, friendly and inquisitive, and Frodo soon found that some explanation of what he was doing would have to be given. He gave out that he was interested in history and geography, at which there was much wagging of heads, although neither of these words were much used in the Bree dialect. He said he was thinking of writing a book, at which there was silent astonishment, and that he and his friends wanted to collect information about hobbits living outside the Shire, especially in the eastern lands. At this, a chorus of voices broke out. If Frodo had really wanted to write a book and had had many ears, he would have learned enough for several chapters in a few minutes. And if that was not enough, he was given a whole list of names, beginning with Old Barleman here, to whom he could go for further information. But after a time, as Frodo did not show any sign of writing a book on the spot, the hobbits returned to their questions about doings in the Shire. Frodo did not prove very communicative, and he soon found himself sitting alone in a corner, listening and looking around. Um, 184. Thank you, Tom. Letter number 184. Uh, uh, Ambrosius Aurelianus. There you go. Um, yeah, now I agree, Fourth Dauntless, and I agree with the person earlier who suggested that Frodo would have a hard time deflecting, uh, in-depth questions about his family tree, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, and you wonder how he, uh, how he handled that. Um, yeah. Um the This is one of the places, this is one of the moments where we get one of the most pointed elements of contrast between Shire culture and Bree culture, right? And we get it both linguistically and culturally. Linguistically, because the words history and geography are not much used in the Bree dialect. Nobody, nobody uses those words. Who talks about history? Who talks about geography? Right? Why would you use that word? Um, that's not to say you would be ignorant of geography. You, you can, you can, you can know all about geography without using the word geography. Right? Um, who uses the word geography? Writers, scholars. Right? 
people who are talking about it as a discipline. You can know it without talking about it as a discipline, right? Same as you can tell stories uh, without talking about history, right? Geographers use the word geography. Erokev, exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, so this suggests a much lower level of learning in Brie than in the Shire, right? Um, and that's really interesting, considering what we were talking about in the Shire, right? Back when we were uh, in our hasty and reckless bolt through chapter one of the book, um, and we were noticing that, you know, the, 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 uh, the obviously widespread illiteracy among the hobbits, right? They're by no means all lettered. Uh, and the fact that Ham Gamgee feels that he has to say, meaning no harm, mark you, and I hope no harm will come of it, uh, when he notices that, when he notes that, that uh, Bilbo has taught Sam to read. Um, that shows sort of the status of literacy in the culture, right? It's, uh, it's certainly not, not only not universal, but it's not even universally respected uh, where it is had. Um, and yet it's clearly, the Shire is clearly in general, a more learned culture. The very fact that Frodo comes up with this is a cover story, right? And I agree with, um, uh, yeah, Galadar says it doesn't seem like the best cover story if you want to be inconspicuous in Bree. Turns out it wasn't, right? Uh, the silent astonishment that greets him when he says he's writing a book. Who does that, right? I mean, I wonder if there are any books in Bree. I wonder what the total number of books in the town of Bree, like how many volumes the town of Bree can boast. Few? None? Are there any books in Bree? Does anyone in Bree own a book? And if so, what book? And who wrote it? That's obviously not a book of history or geography. Do any of the do any of the hobbits in Breeland have any of those books of uh, of of family trees, right, containing information that everybody already knew, laid out fair and square with no contradictions? Do they do they? But it doesn't seem like they do that kind of thing, right? Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boopful's making fun of me for standing in the lower hall in Bree and asking if there are any books uh, at all in Bree, but uh, eh, there you are. Um, maybe, maybe there is a wealthy person for Thoughtless who 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 would see them as status symbols and so have books. Um, there are probably town records, Arthur. I think that seems. That seems likely, right? That somebody keeps written records of something. Um, I mean, you know, you think of, uh, of, I mean, even in, you know, like in the Middle Ages in European history, when literacy was also not general, um, they still kept a lot of written records, right? I mean, you still find a lot of registers of, you know, landowners and, and, uh, and even, you know, shopping lists and, and inventories and things like that on farms. There's still people keeping records. Um, Erokeb, yeah, the, probably there are tabs somewhere in the Prancing Pony. Um, Butterbur, we are going to learn, does value his reputation as a lettered man, right? Um, so he's literate and proud of it. Um, so probably he has books and keeps books. 
but you know, um, I'm really not sure that we have much reason to think that Brie culture, as it's described in the uh, uh, in the uh, in the book, really has any um, really has any serious books. Well, not serious books. Any kinds of books, right? Um, yeah, Mike, this is a big deal, right? The fact that um, the fact that even largely non-literate medieval Europe um, has books. Well, I mean, they were also Christian, uh, and the bookishness of the clergy is a big deal, right? Uh, and if there was one person in a in in a, it meant that in medieval Europe there was usually at least one person in town who was literate, right? Um, I mean, not always. It's certainly not like all uh, uh, you know parish priests were literate, but I mean, you didn't have to be. Um, but many of them were, right? And there was at le- there was at least that correlation. Um, but yeah, you remove. You remove the priests, as we don't have any priests. Um, you know, we certainly don't have anything like a Christian clergy, and so you remove that element, right? What else is there? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, Blue Wizard, they certainly don't have a post office. Another good point, though, right? Um, Gandalf wants a letter sent to the Shire. What does he do? He gives it to Butterbur, who's supposed to have one of his people carry it to the Shire, right? Um, there's no post office. There's no postal service, right? In the Shire, there's a postal service. Yeah, yeah. Um, there might be old books, Harnoth, from old days. I can imagine that somewhere. There's There are some ancient books. Um, but, uh, but yeah, would they even have survived? I don't know. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Alex Long says, Shire hobbits have books, but frown upon those with the education to write them. Uh, Bree hobbits frown upon education, but have interest in those who want to write books. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really, it's a, really, uh, a really funny point. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. That, it's... The astonishment, which seems to be a, a sort of a a polite astonishment, right? It's not like they're they uh, it's not like they're they uh, you know shun Frodo when they find that he's a book writing weirdo, right? Um, they're kind of impressed, and you can tell by how eagerly they participate. Like when they hear that he's writing a book, and they're amazed that he's writing a book because it just it startles them, right? But then they, when he, they learn that the subject of his book is something that they all know about and are interested in, they immediately start piling in like, hey, let's get in the book, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and Lincoln, it is interesting, I agree, that the first person that they uh, direct him to for more information about hobbits is Butterbur. Right, one of the big folk. Uh, it does suggest that there's clearly no absolute firewall in uh, Bree culture, right, between the hobbits and the big folk. Um, and also, it certainly does show Lincoln, as you point out, that the innkeeper is a very prominent figure uh, in Bree. Um, we don't know if there's a mayor 
in Bree, but there's certainly, there's Butterbur, right? And he certainly seems to be held to be the authority on pretty much everything. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, even the, even the fact, um, even the fact that they seem to expect him to start producing a book on the spot shows that, like, they clearly have the faintest idea how this goes, right? Uh, you know, it's like so little experience with book writing that they're they what they think it's 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 a, a spectator sport, right? Like the wide world of novel writing or something. Um, they're just going to sit and watch him produce it. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tillian, you're right. If you do need something read, you would go to Butterbur. Um, makes you wonder where Butterbur learned to read. I mean, from his father, presumably. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, there just, does, there just doesn't seem to be an educated class um, in... Uh, in Brie at all. Makes you wonder. We don't know, like, are the... No, I can't imagine that the Hobbits like in Staddle are any different, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tom is wondering how Bilbo learned Elvish, for that matter. Well, there are at least elves uh, uh, in the Shire. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What does he read, Tiber, is more what I wonder, right? That he could have learned from his dad, I can believe. Um, but how he keeps in practice is a really good question. Um, yeah. Uh, Erokeb, absolutely. He could have had uh, 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 joined Candite's uh, correspondence courses. That seems very likely. Sorry, Lotro joke for uh, those of you who don't play. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, see, Auroran, I'm not sure. Um, how much do you need literacy in order to run an inn? I mean, it depends, right? Um, I mean, obviously you can't do very precise bookkeeping without it, but you might not need extremely precise bookkeeping. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that all innkeepers have always been literate, right? I don't think it's a prerequisite for the job. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Galandar, you are right that it is possible that there are more there are people who are literate in Bree, but just the idea of I'm going to sit down and write a book, either a literary pursuit or even a scholarly pursuit, might still seem really strange if the only literacy that is at all current in Bree is essentially mercantile literacy. Um, the idea either of writing or of reading a book might still seem very foreign. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Oakwig, I think Gandalf's decision to give Butterbur the wetter 
is based on a bunch of things, right? Um, first and foremost on Gandalf's friendship with Butterbur and trust for Butterbur. Um, and secondly, for like his prominence, I mean, if, if there's anybody who's capable of getting a letter to the Shire from Bree, it would be Butterbur, right? Who else? Who else is more likely to do that? Of course, like there are other things that might impede the process, but still, he has he, he has the means, right? He's got staff. He's got uh, you know he 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 has the position that he has. Uh, surely he could find so if anyone can find somebody to travel to the Shire and deliver a letter, it's going to be Butterbur, right? So I think there are lots of reasons um, which don't have to have to do with literacy why uh, why Gandalf would ask Butterbur. Um, yeah, and you're right, Tony. Certainly, the person who delivered the letter would not have to be literate at all. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, let's see. Where are we next? Nah. We'll get to the talk of distant events next time. I don't want to touch on the talk. This is... This, we'll end with books. Um, uh a book largely concerned with hobbits uh, being the book that uh, Frodo was pretending to write, and of course the book that Frodo was indeed to go on to write. Um, And uh, that quotation, it's of course a a quotation from the prologue to the Fellowship of the Ring. This book is largely concerned with hobbits, uh, which is how it begins. Uh, And of course, that's the Lord of the Rings, which Frodo is, which is the book which Frodo is actually going to go on and write. But of course, we're not only here interested in a book largely concerned with hobbits, but in hobbits uh, that are very interested in a book. But Anyway, yeah, so Lincoln, you're right. We're not going to reach Strider tonight. We're going to get as far as this, but we will totally get to Strider next time. My goal is to get up to, but not including, the uh, uh, the song next time. That's what we're going to do. Because then, because that's also going to be it, right? Yes. Okay, so next, so I'll be back next week, um, but I'll be gone the week after that. So we're going to see if we can get to the song before I leave uh, on uh, family vacation. So, um, but it's time for field trip. So stick around. Those of you who are who want to do the field trip, uh, you can. Uh, those of you who are on Twitter uh, can switch over to Twitch, Twitch.tv/signumu, and watch our field trip with us. And we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna do a a, a a tour of Brie. Oh, Eric was just asking, did Butterbur ever get to see the Red Book? I wonder. I wonder that too. Um, I suspect so. I can't imagine that a copy of the Red Book did. If one made it all the way to Gondor, surely uh, one was gifted to uh, uh, to to the family of Butterbur uh, at the Prancing Pony. That, that has to have happened. All right. Uh, so bye to the folks on Twitch, uh, Twitter. Sorry, not Twitch. There we go. Okay, and uh, it is time to head out on our field trip. Okay. Okay. Yeah, exactly, Tom. Pippin obviously would have stopped along the way when he was delivering this. At the very least, he would have seen it. Right. Um, Butterbur and the Folk of Bree would surely have seen uh, the Red Book. Um, and again, it's hard for me to imagine that a copy of that did not make its way permanently to the Prancing Pony. Um, has to have been. 
Okay. All right. So today we're going to go super far. Uh, that is, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to wander around Bree. So here's the goal. We've been looking, we've been looking around the, the, the outside of Bree. So our, our question here, studying Bree as closely as we've been in the book, I want to be looking at the, um, uh, I want to be looking at the, the town of Bree as it's depicted in the game. And my question is, what do we see? What kind of, of, of story and setting are we getting in Bree? Uh, uh, by the developers. And yeah, it is kind of really funny that I hear I'm saying, was there even a single book in Brie and we're like surrounded by floor-to-ceiling bookshelves uh, in this room? Well, that's where they all went. Exactly. They were in this <laughs> secret underground lore room. Okay, so so we're the places we're going to go today are going to be uh, to the um, to all the places that the hobbits in the book don't go. We sort of followed. The, we sort of followed the path of the hobbits last time. Yeah. Up to the prancing pony, and now we are going to go everywhere else. Good evening, everyone. It's Lori. I'm here as uh, Kofi tonight. All right. Okay. Let's. Go down so the stairs like, over here. So we're comparing this to how Peter Jackson portrayed it, and possibly how uh, Ralph Bakshi um, <laughs> portrayed it, or something like that. Well, you know, say, the criticism, which you will, I actually like the voice work a lot. And we were talking about Mary's line: "Don't forget, you're supposed to be in secret hiding." I love how it was delivered, like he was telling them a joke. Don't right. forget, we're supposed to be in secret and hiding. <laughs> It's like he literally did not believe that he was in mortal peril. It's like huh, right. we, we've survived the Barrow Whites. What could be worse than that? You know, right? Like he had no idea. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. No, I do really like. Uh, I like a lot of things about the Bakshi films. The visuals are one of the things I like least, but. Uh, Peter S. Beagle's script is my favorite part of yeah, it. Yeah, Beagle's script. he actually had the better script. I agree. I agree. I think his script is excellent. A cl- I like to turn it on and listen to it as a radio play. <laughs> yeah. A closer script to the text I have never seen in any adaptation of any book. He was, he was really good at getting to the meat of what every line was about. He could cut yeah. a paragraph down to two sentences and it would still mean that whole paragraph. Yeah. 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 No, he did a great job. Um... Especially knowing, I mean, hearing him tell the story of how rapidly it was done, um, uh-huh. you know, how uh, sort of last minute he was brought into that project. Um, anyway, first thing I notice yeah. standing here is uh, notice this uh, these houses up here. Uh, uh, I was about to say to the north, but they're they're just they're on the north side of the East Road here. Um, how they're set into the hill, right? That's just how the prancing pony is described. Now we see the pony is actually a freestanding structure here in the game. Um, but uh, but th- this sounds to me, just remember the thing, business about the second story windows being on the ground level, right? And we can see we can see that exactly here with the, there's, we've got dormer windows up here pretty much at the ground level um, up here behind. So this seems, this this is kind of my picture right here of what of how I imagine most of the Brie houses looking. 
uh, basically. But of course, they would have been in tears set into the hill instead of down here in the valley. But um, anyhow, so we have mostly houses here that we can't actually enter in the game until we get up to the Prancing Pony. Now we've not counting the cat lady's house. Not counting the cat lady's house. Yes, uh, it was very thoughtful that they put our 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 scholars hall right next to the cat lady's house. It's, it's, uh, having many Tolkien friends, that's not inaccurate. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't think we can get into the the turtle house. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah we can't first. get into the turtle house. Yeah. Okay. So here we come to the market square. Um, so now, again, the folk, my focal point here tonight is to be looking at the overall, the kind of, the, the sub-creation and world-building that they did here, having been, you know, because this is, of course, part of the really fun challenge of Lotro, right? Given everything that we know about Bree from the book, now how do you construct an entire town? Because obviously they can't just put in the game what was in the book or you'd have a very empty town. The hobbits didn't go around exploring, um, at least not by light and not successfully. So, um, so they have to invent not only a whole bunch of other buildings and streets and everything, but this whole culture and even history. You know, so why boars, Tony, is a great question, and I was wondering that too. I remember wandering around. This is one of the first places. Of course, the the pony was the very first place I wandered um, when I got to Bree. Okay, wandered is not quite right. Um, you know dashed to, you know, like a heat-seeking missile is more accurate about how I went to the pony the first time I came to Bree. But uh, but after that, I wandered down here, and I was struck by the same thing. I'm like, boars. Why boars? And boars exactly. are, are clearly the symbol of Bree. You can see them on banners and things elsewhere. Um, you know, it's it's a it, they're a key part as you can see from the banners right here in town, right? Yeah. This is the standard Breland banner with the boar's head up on top. Um, right next to Hugh Reed, who has a very planty name. Yes, yes. I'm going to start That's looking right. at surnames tonight. By the way. That's right. Yes, we'll see uh, uh, how many how many of them have uh, have botanical names. I mean, that guy's just called Supplier, which is not a very good name. Um, not all of them have Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, anyway, so 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 why boars? And um, the 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 answer that they give in the game is a very practical one. You hear the story. Don't you hear the story from this guy over here? Gosh, it's been years since I heard the story. But I think that this guy tells the story. Second watcher Heathstraw, uh, who has a nice botanical name. Um, Could I speak with you a moment? And uh, I know he's just sending me to the mayor. But when you come back to him and he tells you he that you can do that, you can get to the quest where he tells you some of Bree history. And as I recall, his explanation of the boars uh, are that. The, there, there were wild boars living in this area, and like the legends are that, like the, in the early days of Bree, like the original settlers subsisted largely upon upon the meat of the boars, uh, and you know, and boars were the, like the pigs were first were, were domesticated here and everything, and so it was just like a staple part of the Bree diet uh, to be eating boar uh, from this area, which strikes me as a very like. 
plausible and pragmatic. The Bre- you know the Brelanders don't choose something for symbolism purposes, right? They don't choose, uh, you know, a, th- their symbol is not a dragon or something mythic or or uh, or, or legendary. It's just this you is what you ate. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is what we ate, right? Um, and yeah, there's there's you know there might be other kinds of associations with them you know that they are you know defensive of their territory and you know fearsome when cornered and things like that but uh but that that's not how it's explained to you and i think that uh, that kind of pragmatism as i said it seems to me it seems to to strike me as kind of right for the uh for the sense that we get of the brelanders but i think boars are still deadly they're like one of the the chiefest causes for wildlife uh, death in europe yeah boars are not to be tampered with i mean they're not uh, to be taken lightly for sure so um, there's a reason you find it a lot in a lot of livery yeah 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 exactly um so of course right over here we have the most popular building in brie which is the crafting hall um not a crucial part of town society exactly, but uh, an extremely useful place for players. Um, the town, of course, looks very Tudor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, very. And, which is kind of interesting. I mean, there were several people saying, when we were having the discussion about um, which one, which discussion was it? I'm forgetting now. About how the Shire seems to have seems to be about like 19th century rural culture, but Breland doesn't seem much more than, does not seem much more than Tudor. Um, I think well, that, that follows that technology too, with like hobbits having pocket watches and stuff. Yes. Yes, exactly. And postal service and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that, that seems to me right. I, I mean, I, I think I'm trying to think of counter examples to that and I can't exactly. Um, I'm trying to think of if there's anything that we hear about in Bree or in the Breelands that seems more sort of culturally advanced than, you know, 16th century. And well, I can't t- really think of there anything. There are still Tudor houses in England today. Oh, sure. They, they, they last pretty well. And you can tell that it's various styles built upon several styles upon several styles. They just waited till something fell down and then put up something new. Right. So. Right. Nothing's fallen down yet. Yeah, I mean, like you do get, for instance, that this house right here, you know, the the uh, the town hall here, um, mm-hmm. is of the stone, and it's that stone that we were suspecting is recycled stone from the old Arnorian oh, ruins, yeah. and it's got this sort of over on this side, right? It has this sort of uh, Tudor addition yeah, over the here, timber addition here. Yeah, over here, which which totally look, looks tacked on. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh no, it's it's almost freestanding. Look at that. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. Oh, it's, it is. It's totally freestanding. I wonder if it's just in like a maybe it's a records library or something. Right. And look back here. You how you have this old wall. That's a that that looks like an Arnorian wall, doesn't it? Or almost. Kind of gothic looking. Yeah, that's really interesting. Connecting this wooden house next door to the stone town hall building. Yeah, no, this is clearly a new a building just placed here. It's obviously attached. Okay, not literally attached, but it's obviously connected with the town hall building. Even maybe the mayor's uh, quarters were getting moldy, and they needed a new 
living space. Even these boulders are kind of fun, right? Like we're going to, we're going to pave this courtyard, but you know, these boulders are just too big and annoying to move. So we're just going to leave them and we're going to pave around them. Right. So we'll, we'll leave this little sort of park here with these trees and stuff really just because we don't, want to or don't have the technology to move these boulders properly. Right? You, you so, know the guard that makes this part part of his circuit, you know, half of his job is telling kids to stop climbing on them. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, well, you, they would not have the tools to get anything this deep out, of, so... Right, yeah, no, it would be... Nothing to be done. Yeah, boulders of that size would be non-trivial. One of those, like, remnants of a statue or something, or maybe a barricade of some kind... Wonder what it wonder how just these three got here when everything else seems to have been successfully cleared out. Yeah, no idea. No idea. These just could be the biggest of the boulders, the ones that they couldn't shift when they uh-huh. were building. But you know, let's go inside. Let's go inside and see the mayor. We don't have to I was tempted to do the 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 tour of Bree quest. But I think I just want to freelance it at the end of the day. Um, oh, so we got Walt Holly Tree is the clerk of kinships. Oh, Holly Tree? Oh, there and he is. Bo- yeah. Bonnie Milkweed. Milkweed. There you go. Yeah. Look at all Everyone these books. <laughs> My goodness. Books. books all over the place. And these high-backed wooden chairs. So what is this room? Not for hobbits. Not for hobbits. Those are clearly not <laughs> hobbit-sized chairs. Yeah, see, look, here's a live hobbit standing next to her. She'd have to climb to sit up on one of those chairs. Yeah. Huh. What is... This almost looks like a pulpit. What is this room supposed to be? Is this a lecture hall? Uh, probably a meeting hall. Probably where they meeting have town hall? meetings. Yeah. yeah hang on, because there's a... That's when they're going to say, there's too many books in here. We propose the building of a town library, and everyone goes, what for? Yeah. Oh, look, there's a horn. It's That's a horn. I, mean, it was, I was wondering what that was. Oh. There's a horn. So what, to call everybody to it, boy, that would get people's attention in a closed room. It's probably room. an heirloom. If you did it in here, you'd go deaf. Yeah, that would be that would be rough. Yeah, this could be a courtroom. There's I a, agree, Pontin. There's a plaque it could be. in front of it. There's a, there's a plaque in front of the horn. Oh, does it say anything? Uh, I it's, can't tell. It's a historical monument? Yes, definitely one of those. This is the horn that was blown at the Battle of What's-It. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Cool. Um, okay, so town meeting slash courtroom down here with lots of steins on the back wall for refreshments. I'm, I'm reminded of 1776, where they they had all the the all the representatives of states, and they had the guy walking around giving them all rum. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Probably not a courtroom then. Uh, oh, storage room. We got beds. Somebody sleeps here. This maybe. Sir, can we go guards? upstairs? Well, there's well, the, that guy's a guard, so maybe this is like one of the places where the guards do shifts. Oh yeah, cause it's, yes, because yes, we we do have. Uh, it must be guards barracks. Yeah, we got yeah, their got their but, helmets and armor here. But it's not at the armory down the street. Yeah, I thought they were staying there. That place is big enough. 
Yeah. Hmm. So it's the mayor's personal guards. Perhaps. Hey, this guy forgot his helmet upstairs, obviously. <laughs> this guard doesn't have a name, right? Oh, is this no. uh, Bonnie Milkweed, right? Okay. Ooh, and they have the painting of Weathertop. Whoa. Yep. Yeah. Painting we all of, know that one. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of guards in here. I counted three and then the one downstairs. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. These are definitely the the mayor's guards here. Interesting. Tons of books. They're on the floor. I hate that. All the books on the floor, all the spines broken. It's horrible. More chairs up here. So, like, this is where Statler and Waldorf sit during the town meetings, apparently. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. I see that. Oh, the gallery. This is the gallery. Yeah, clearly the gallery. Uh, Interesting. Less beer up here, probably for safety reasons. Wait a second. What is that? What is that painting? Which painting? Uh, uh, gosh, I can't tell what that is. It looks like a very peculiar piece of landscape. Yeah, very dour. It's got a winding road onto waterfalls. Raros, maybe? I don't know. Doesn't it look like a lake up there? Yeah, it does. It looks like a lake feeding into falls. Kind of looks like a place we should recognize. Uh huh. It's not a happy place. No. The windy road over here is sort of, you know, looks almost like the road to Dunharrow, kind of windy up the hill there, but I don't really recognize it. It it makes me think of Anduin, but I'm not sure. Yeah. It's Reichenbach Falls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, here's the broken books and everything, yeah. I was like, what's going on? Why are these just all over them? Is he just careless? Or is, like, did he have a tantrum? My goodness. I didn't even see this pile over here. It's hideous. That is shocking. This is is why the game is rated teen. It's just just graphically awful. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Depicted uh, tobacco and alcohol usage and violence to books. Violence to books. Yeah. Oh, one of those to the wall there. Look. <laughs> oh, oh he's got cloaks hanging up on pegs. This is the only place I've seen cloaks hanging up on pegs, except at Bilbo's house. Right outside of the Shire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, Pontin says it's the path to Moria. The painter. Wow, that's a pretty grim thing for the mayor of a little homely town that doesn't know its own history. Not to mention far afield. Yeah. Yeah. What if this is a gift he just didn't know what to do with? <laughs> right. right. This is a pretty grim reminder to have hanging over your office every day. Yeah, it sure is. It sure. Be is. like someone having a big picture of hell in their office. Yeah. 
See, it's their judicial officer. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's interesting to me that um, they made the choice to have this many books, so many books that they're chucking them on the floor. You know, the the whole wall to ceiling book or floor to ceiling bookcase look is cramped tight. Yeah, and and I I mean I love the fact that we have lots of scrolls as well as codices here. Right, so I mean, these are presumably really old books. You got you store the scrolls up here, and then the you know mm-hmm. codices down here. But um, it certainly is one thing that the developers have very emphatically not imagined. Right, is uh, a a a non literate breed culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can see why they're so shocked that Frodo's writing a book. Books aren't written. They just have them, and they're all over the place. Exactly. What? You mean one of those things we use to strew the floor with? Yeah. We keep one in the outhouse. Yeah, exactly. Nice thin pages. Exactly. Okay. Also, the comment of everybody hovering around and suddenly disappointed that he wasn't actually starting to write the book right there. I'm like, yes. Tolkien has tried to write in a pub, and people have been bu- people were bugging him. <laughs> right. That is, that is like anyone who's been a writer and anyone who tried to write anything in a coffee shop to have people going, "What you doing?" <laughs> yeah, he's been there. Yeah, I could tell exactly. immediately. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going back outside here. Outside the town hall, that meeting space and the horn were my favorite so far. That was cool. Okay, so we have a definite. We have a definite, uh, um, definitely literate culture. Very clearly, a literate culture here in the game. Uh-huh. Um, we have an enormous prison. A positively yeah. gigantic prison. It's bigger than the mayor's house. It is. And we have dudes with their heads shoved through in a pillory right here, presented as if to invite you to chuck stuff at them, right? We've got this, like, public shaming pillory over here, right? And then, of course, the even more public ones. Do you think there's, like, different defenses? I guess, you know, these are so that, like, widows can come and punch you in the stomach, right? Apparently. Uh... And the ones in there are just where you uh, can be seen to be being punished. Yeah, so there, as an example to others. <laughs> there would be shame, but presumably less injury uh, to those dudes in there. But, uh, yeah, it's... I don't even know quite what to do with the size of the prison here. Now, clearly this is used as a barracks as well as a prison. Um, yeah, because, yeah. This that, is the training hall here, not an exercise yard. Exactly, exactly. And inside here, we go into the jail. What? Let's see. Okay. Oh, we have an apple door right here. Oh, and another apple door. Yeah, we have Sisters Dawn apple door. Okay, so this is clearly a, this is a, she's a trainer, right? Um, and we've got lots of guard gear inside there. 
And we got more people training and fighting. That's the Guardian dude, isn't it? Trolley. Yes, it is. That's what I thought. Yeah. Wigand, who is from Bree Town, remembers him very clearly. Um, now we have cells, uh, such as this highly secure cell, in which this guy is very patiently... Oh, they're on the honor system. Yeah, it's definitely the honor system here in Bree. Uh, oh, great. Now we're trapped in here. <laughs> it's, it's reaching out through the bars. Hey, look, he's got that same... He's got that same eagle on his chest that the emissary of of Saruman has on in uh, uh, Tomathedras, where Grifflet just was last week. Just yeah. noticing that same eagle crest. Yeah, it is. The Isengard did. Weird. I guess it's just oh. dudes in prison who wear that outfit. It's like prison garb, maybe. It's it's there. It's the it's the crow's feet or the. Yeah. Okay, so all right, and this oh, one's this guy's just sweeping up. He's this one's just up. sweeping up. Yeah, he doesn't stay. Oh, here. another apple door. Another apple door. What is it? this guy? Oh, he's eating his prison rations. Let's see what does he got. Uh-huh. Uh huh. What is that? Toast? Yeah. Something. Gray lumps and brown sauce or brown lumps and gray sauce? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. And then this dejected fellow over here. Oh, and another guy sleeping. This is a this is a double. Okay, we have him yep. ominously ominously striding line, back and forth. Pacing thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have four total prisoners inside so far. Well, there's more on the other side. Right, and then we have over here. Okay, so we have a bunch of cells. The cells, I will say, are quite roomy. Oh, it's the women's prison over here. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. All right, so we've got boys and girls. Uh, These are fairly... uh, Fairly rough-looking women, I have to say. That is to say, they look like they're, you know, they were, they're they're clearly in here for brigandage, and, you know. Yeah, they all got, like, blood and scuffs all over them. Exactly, right, and are wearing, like, scraps of armor, yeah. So they're imagining some kind of violent offense on the part of these women, which we've seen quite a well enough of once we get abroad. Right. Oh, is it, this one is not. She's crying in the corner. And she has a nice dress on. Yeah, she is. She almost it looks more the Rohirrim kind of style of dress. It does. So she 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 does not look like a brigand. She might be in here by mistake. Yeah. At least it seems like she might argue that. Oh. I'm locked in. Okay, there we go. Um, okay. So, we've got a whole bunch of prisoners. Mm-hmm. It is really... Now, even if Breed did combine, uh, like, a guard training center with a prison, it is really hard to imagine that they would have a prison of this size. I mean, first of all, I mean, like, the, the amount of wasted space is amazing. We've got cathedral ceilings in this yeah, prison. you could cram about 14 people in those pens. Very, very few prisons come with cathedral ceilings, so uh, that's already kind of strange. Um, 
I mean, I can understand, and I'm not going to criticize them too much for that. High ceilings certainly make it easier from a game perspective to, you know, to look out wide, but... Um... This is one of the choices of the developers in the Breeze story that I find most challenging, most difficult to understand. Now, I get it based on the story that they're... T- I mean, like, you know, to go back to the poor fellow who's getting continuously punched in the stomach by this enraged widow. Um, like, I get the fact that the the plot line here in Bree is about the brigands, Right? Uh, and the brigands who have been raiding farms and, 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 and killing people. So that there is more unrest, like within the story, within the game, that there is more unrest in Bree uh, than has yet happened in the books when Frodo and, and company get there. Um, uh-huh. Changes things, obviously, right? Um, but... But still, they have this huge stone jail already built, right? So that, that hardly explains yeah. it. Um, you'd think they'd have a small jail burstingly full if, uh, if that were the case. And instead, the jail is really one of the biggest, most prominent buildings in town. Um, and I'm not sure that that really strikes the right tone. I mean... It does present Bree as being a pretty rough place, and I guess it's interesting. I mean, in this sense, it's almost—it's almost, it's almost uh, sort of justifying Sam's concerns, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, O'Malley's wondering if they put debtors in prison too. Um, yeah, I could do. Could do. Yeah. Looking at this woman Styles dress, actually, I think I was wrong. The woman crying in the jail is actually a Breelander. It makes you wonder if she got maybe a little too close to a pillory person and something horrible happened and she's in jail now for it. Who knows? Like, maybe she got revenge right. when he was chained up. But right. also the fact that this woman says, you look like the men who burned my town and that's why he's chained up. It makes you think, remember, there was not just brigands from the south up there. There were refugees right. from the south. Right. Yeah. So you get the sense there's this glowing, growing sense of unrest about all these foreigners infiltrating the city and who to trust and who not to trust and who's doing this and who's getting caught in the crossfires. Yeah. 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 There's certainly, uh, you can certainly see concerns about that thing, that 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 kind of problem. You know, confronting the Brelanders in the future. They're yeah. gonna have their own scouring in a bit. Yeah, exactly. Maybe the, maybe some wrong, some of the wrong people will be scoured from Bree. Yeah, well, it's easy to see how distrust of all strangers would result from the increase in brigandage and their general isolation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the other thing is, once again, we see just how stagnant Bree's been, how nothing has changed, no one's been challenged. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nothing has grown. Because no one has suffered. (laughs) Prosperity leads to endless stagnation. Yeah. And then here we have, so this is the auction house, another one of those useful buildings, uh, which is not necessarily... uh, I mean, I guess it's interesting that they've put an auction hall here right next to the gates, Right, so that you know you get this sense of, but it's interesting to me that it's near the south gate, um, 
we do get the market and the vaults and stuff up by the Westgate, which we'll get back around up there soon. Um, but there does seem to be some gesture in the in where they've placed some of these some of these buildings to uh, like a mercantile culture in Brie near the gates. Well, where would their imports and exports be coming from? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, on the, that gate there. Yeah. <laughs> though I would think much more from the west gate, as the south gate just goes off to the east, and there's nobody over there. Um, yeah, it's also got the. It's also most heavily guarded too. So. Now, this part of Brie is one of the ones that I find most interesting. So, notice two things here. First of all, the people here. So, these folks are like hunters and relic seekers, and these are like the adventurous folks here in Brie. And they send you on quests to the Barrow Downs and... and uh, to, to, to find relics that might be sold or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting that we get this subculture in Brie, which it's not at all obvious that we would, right? I mean, that, that this, this seems to be an interesting, I'm not saying an indefensible, but an interesting kind of departure from Brie culture as we meet it. Um, it seems not implausible, right? Uh, in the sense that uh, one can imagine there being a sort of small and possibly sort of deviant subculture, right, of people who are... Archaeologists. Well, yeah, well, or at least Indiana Jones types, right, who who might yeah. want to go and explore. Grave and, robbers. Yeah, grave robbers, in other words, yeah. Um, because you know there is enough roundabout, there would be enough ruins and things like that that you could imagine that there that it would appeal to to a, a small subgroup of people who were like the hunters rather than the farmers, um, uh, culturally, and of course where we see them, but beside the, behind the building is the is the hedge, on the other side of the hedge that's the Barrow Downs that we're seeing right there. So we're right here on that side of town. You can just see some ruins up on top and a standing stone um, off in that direction because it's a nice clear day. Um, So, you know, again, right here from town, this really emphasizes, you know, look, all of these enticing ruins and, and, uh, uh, you know, undiscovered ancient things are right there. And so the kind of curiosity uh, attached to that. It's not that I can't imagine this kind of little subculture growing. And it's even interesting that here in Brie, they put it down in this really interesting kind of ghetto area, right? Where it's separated from everybody else by these walls. And it's the old part, right? It's the old, um, you know, it's... It, these are, Yeah, these are the old ruins of Arnor. Um, and, you know, we'll see these old ruins of Arnor being occupied by a couple groups of people. But this is one, right? The... Uh, the the sort of slightly unusual adventuring the subculture, thrill, the yeah. Thrill seekers club. <laughs> the thrill There wasn't one gray beard in the whole group. They were all young people. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is this is what the young people do to get into trouble on the weekends. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Worry their poor mother's sick. <laughs> right. But now, if we come up past the town hall and keep going back over to here, where we saw some other ruins. But before, of course, I was aggressively looking only at the ruins and not anywhere else. Um, 
We've got some city streets here leading up to the place where the Scholar's Hall is from the other side. Now we'll come back here to the Stone Quarter in a second, but where I wanted to stop off was the Mudgate and the slums over here. This is Beggar's Alley. Uh, this is one of the places, of course, where we were also looking at ruins. Um, but here we have the Breland Poor. Now, one of the interesting things about the depiction here is that it doesn't look all that different, right? No. Well, that window's broken. That's the windows are broken. It's just about the only... And it looks like a little bit less clean, I guess. And we, of course, have people living outside. Yeah. Uh, well, they, yeah, it makes you think these poor people aren't living in the, the cruddy houses. They don't even have that fortune. Right, right. Um, yeah, so we have... Uh, It's so so it is interesting that in and we've got the oh, oh 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 we've got pigs here right we're living actually in the company of oh, pigs are living in the lean tos with them here right oh, we're being mugged oh we're being mugged yes this is where Mary didn't want to wander yeah this is this is Mary being stupid thinking nothing will happen when he goes uh, you know right but see he this should is, take his own advice <laughs> right exactly but this is this is interesting you know. I don't know. Both of these last two areas, both the you know the thrill seekers, uh, and the 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 slums here, um, neither one of them are places that I'm would actually expect to to find if I went to the Brie of the book, um, but both of them are interesting extrapolations, especially given the fact that Brie, as they have depicted it, Brie in the game is much more of a metropolis. It's not a metropolis, exactly. But it has more of a, like, of, of a big city feel. Even the fact that there are quarters of the town like this, you know, uh -huh. the way that the different parts of the town have sections. And of course, the here we... The different spokes of the wheel and the different bridges and gates. Yes, exactly. Um... And uh, so they, they have it set up that way, so it feels like like a big city. Uh, and again, it certainly, by contrast, feels like a big city when coming, you know, from uh, from the wilderness or even from the Shire. But but I think it's definitely a change. You know, I think that they have they have urbanized Bree. Well, well, I like how they made it kind of a melting pot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got we got south. We got you know we got the the native Freelanders. We got the hobbits from Staddle. We got all these peoples living together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that is true to the book. And that whole you know it's just that's just life. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it, that is an important element of Bree. And you're right that we do even so. This dwarf statue. Who is the dwarf? Do we I know? Don't know. Do we know who Maybe this is? Maybe a Durin? One of the Durins? Right. Wish there was a plaque or something when you clicked on them. Right. But you can see it's all overgrown here. And it's really rusty. Nobody's really been tending to the statue for a while. Yeah. This sword-wielding... 
Sword and shield wielding dwarf. What's on his shield? Can't really see. Just a little design. Nothing really heraldic. Uh, just a, just sort of a flower made out of squares. Yeah, like a, like a same kind of thing. Same thing that I think is on his belt. Yes, his belt buckle yes. has the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, can't see. There he is. I can see him better from a little further away. See this cape as anything? No, it's, he's got this the standard beginner level cape. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. The base is really neat. It's kind of Aztec looking. Yeah, yeah. The designs around the bottom of the base. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Art Deco again. <laughs> so you've got to think. Some dwarf must have built or at least donated the statue. Yep. Hard to imagine the Brelanders saying like, hey, let's let's commission a statue of a dwarf. Well, isn't this like the iron worker section? Maybe It's the it stone was... quarter. Oh the stone quarter, okay. Yeah. It's the stone Maybe, quarter. Maybe but it's an iron but it's a it's a copper statue. Interesting. Right. right. <laughs> but you wonder if there was some sort of dwarf who was a chief member in establishing this section. Maybe he was like a mentor to everyone. Possibly, yeah. I mean, it's the association between that statue and the stone quarter has always led me to wonder that kind of thing. I mean, he's a stonemason, stone worker. Yeah, yeah. Founder of the Stonemasons Guild. But certainly, probably a resident, right? And even that, like, there's not... How many dwarves live in Bree? Like, they pass through a lot there. It's not unusual to see them. Um, but... Uh, but they don't generally live in Bree, as far as we can well, remember, tell. Well, we have a whole people of dwarves who are itinerant travelers after their home was eaten, you know, destroyed right. by a dragon. Right. They all ended up somewhere. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that I find it unrealistic that any dwarf ever would. But, um, uh, but they're certainly being very active in imagining a, a strong dwarvish presence in town, right? Um, at least some kind of very wealthy leading dwarvish citizen who donated the statue. Um, yeah, and then, of course, here we have the uh, s- the other mercantile center that I was talking about, right? We've got the vault here, so this is the bank. And this is right near to West... We're back up near to Westgate again. There you go. Maud Foxglove and Tad Gardner. There you go. Ah, uh, Gardner. Which will become Sam's name, of course. Or Sam's oh, descendants, yeah. anyway. Enjoy Hayseed. Okay. Yeah, lots of good botanical <laughs> names. Hey, Hayseed's not a very kind name, though. <laughs> no, not really. Oh, and crabgrass over here, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, yeah. not very flattering. <laughs> Oh, that's money management for you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so like we, so we have, we have uh, auction places near both gates, right? So you know, clearly imagining a significant mercantile element here, and then uh-huh. again, this sort of crafting area right inside, 
you know, with the uh, craftsmen at work here, right inside the the gates as well. There's the west gates, back to where we've shade, been many times. Shade tree, that's a good one. I like shade tree. Shade tree, yeah, that's nice. And then, of course, these are the hills. We went up in those hills where the where the Hobbit homes are, and we can see how mm-hmm. how right, s- right how different and how separate the the Hobbit homes are compared to the uh, to many of the human homes that we've seen and, and the size of them and quantity. There's, yeah, there's a Sandheaver right there, Lily yeah. Sandheaver at the Ah, right, right, yeah, right. Yep. All right, Sandheaver. Cool. Um, cool. So, so conclusions that the, the main thing I think is the way that we, um, we see them kind of urbanizing the place, even the, 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 and, and there I say the combinations of things like the, um, the, the, the concept of the relevant dwarf of the, the, the resident dwarves, the way they've made it more, more melting potish, not just mixture of hobbits and men, but more general melting potish. Um, the way that we have the different districts and, you know, the, the sort of the slum districts, the poor, the poor quarter, as it is called. Um, and, uh, and the jail, you know, the large jail to suggest that there is enough regular crime in Bree that we need a huge old jailhouse with lots of cells. Um, that, that house is 16 yeah, prisoners. Exactly. That's, that's very, uh, that would be pretty strange in a small town, um, and you know. And it seems that the 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 town of Bree in the game is still a small town, you know, for um, for all it's large compared to other things. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that, that's the main conclusion that I think that I would draw from looking around the town is that we uh, we see some oh nice nice dragon firework there. Um, uh, we, we definitely see that, that kind of cultural shift, uh, and therefore, and, and again, it makes sense in how they've defined the region, right? Bree really is, you know, sort of the capital city of this whole district. And so they've made it really operate like one, um, even though they've still left it with a feel that's a lot in, in many places, in many ways, uh, I think true to the book, um, but yet they've made a lot of lar- large-scale cultural changes, uh, which uh, which seems to me interesting. There's also very little farming going on right here in Bree, um, or even right right on the outskirts of Bree. We don't see we see some farms up to the north, yeah. yeah, and we see farms out in some of the other outlying villages, but we don't see much farming right here around Bree. Anyway, yeah, only the section where the hobbits are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think they put some more, actually. They put some more farms. Is that uh, farming? When they expanded the city, they put some more behind where the bank is. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah. yeah, hardly hardly a sustainable sort of area. For, right, right. <laughs> more, more symbolic of what's what should, should have been, you know, made ten times bigger. Sure, sure. Cool. But that would be boring, so let's leave it out. Absolutely. All right. Well, it is getting late. It has struck midnight here on the East Coast, so I'm going to let people go. Um, next time, I think in our field trip, we're going to we're going to start wandering a little further afield. I'd like to visit uh, uh, to visit Staddle next time and and uh, start looking at some of the outlying villages. Um, but um, 
Thanks, everybody, for joining me. I appreciate visiting you guys here on Crick Hollow and uh, looking around Bree with you here tonight. And thanks for joining us for a discussion earlier. And I will see you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.